Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I give out bad advice. I'd like to think I'm giving out good advice, but if this isn't your first of my podcasts, you'll know why I call it Gives Bad Advice, and here's a clue. I'm not qualified to give advice to anyone. I am not a licensed therapist. I am not an unlicensed therapist. I don't have a law degree or a medical certificate or even a license to give manicures. I didn't study good advice in college. I didn't study bad advice in college. I don't even think there's a college that gives a degree in bad advice. But if there is, I did not go there. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. It's like a hobby, only without the expensive gear. Well, except for the USB microphone, those are not cheap. Anyway, you get the message. What do you say we get started? This first question comes from somewhere on the Internet. Dear Quinn, I've signed on a lease with my longtime girlfriend. Advice for the first few months living together? Yes. I never understood the don't-go-to-bed-mad cliché. I mean, I get it, I guess, that if you ruminate all night, it's worse in the morning. My variation of it would be learn how to fight where there is no neutral. You can't go to your corners anymore. You have to share a bed, so you're going to have to figure this one out. Which means you can't let the fight escalate. Every couple I know has a nuclear sentence in their lives and neither one will use it. It's just like, okay, if we said that, I don't even know how we come back from that. I think we just start living in shallow huts, and we lose all of civilization as we know it. So you can't get there. What does that mean? That means you don't let stuff seethe. You don't keep your list of grievances. Um, start as you mean to go on. If you both want to be people who are cleaning up as you go, figure that one out. Don't assume the other person knows. All right, now I tell my story. I moved in with my then-boyfriend, not consort, in my 20s. I went over to his apartment to help him pack up his room. He was in a multi-person setup. And while we were there, shoving things into boxes, I say to him in passing, um, you know, as long as we're here, let's wash your towels, because he had a washer-dryer unit in the apartment. I did not, and we didn't have in our upcoming place. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, wash the towels here, because then we don't have to use the quarters. No, what do you mean wash the towels? He had gone to college. He was two and a half, three years out of college. He had never washed his towels, because as he explained it, they only touched my wet body, so how dirty could they be? The moral of that story is don't assume anything about the person you're living with. Keep everything out where you guys can talk about it. I had dated this guy for 18 months. I had used his towels. I did not know this was his belief system. So, talk everything out. If it's a soaking in the dishwasher versus everything goes in at night, you need to know. 
Don't assume anything because the small stuff is going to make you insane. And you don't even know yet what the thing that she does unconsciously is that will make you nuts. And then you will see her shoes by the front door and you will feel all the blood drain out of your head. And that will be a fight you can totally, totally avoid. Second anecdote. My then boyfriend and I lived together for a year and year and a half. And somewhere around the year mark, we had gone to see a movie and we were leaving the shopping mall where we had seen it. And he said, did you like that movie? And I said, eh, I don't really like seeing movies. And we were both kind of taken aback by that. I didn't know I was going to say that. I didn't know I even felt that. And we drove in silence for a few blocks and he said, okay, well then, what do you like to do? We had been living together for a year. We had dated for a year and a half before that. He didn't know what I liked to do. That's not the horrifying part. The horrifying part was I was silent for miles all the way home because I couldn't remember. It's wonderful to be in love. It's great to have a partner. You're a team. You do stuff together. You're, you're that couple. But you need a room of your own, to misquote Virginia Woolf. You need to each keep a little part of yourselves separate. Something you like that she does not. And you go and you do it once a week. And you come back restored and refreshed. Otherwise, in five years, you will be the couple who doesn't remember what you like to do. And in 10 years, you will be the couple where you're in the restaurant and you will say to her, do I like salmon? It's easy to get lost. Keep a map and a bright light. My next question comes from Outer Twitter Stan. Dear Quinn, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder last year that has basically taken over my life. I can't do any of the stuff I used to do, and I can't escape constant reminders of my disease. Is there any way I can feel less broken? I wish you had figured out the great secret of life in a more pleasant way, but you are living the stoic cautionary tale, which is, that everything that is external can be taken away from us. So we have to rely inwards. We have to figure out who we are when everything that we use to define ourselves is no longer there, which is harsh. But it happens to be true in life. Everything you think is here for the long haul, nah, probably isn't. And we have to keep changing and shifting and adapting. All this to say... It's not that you're broken right now. I know that you feel that way. It's that you're having to figure out who you are without all the external markers you had before. You are still smart. You are still decent. You are still kind. You are still funny. The things you like are still there. You may have a different relationship with them. I ask you to give it time. 
I happen to know that this question came from a younger person, so I'm going to sound like a completely condescending mom type when I say you just, you have to give it time. But as it so happens, the science backs me up. There are studies which have shown that people a year out, two years out from an extraordinary event like winning the lottery or having a catastrophic injury which ends up with them needing to use a wheelchair, they end up back about as happy or as unhappy as they were before either the very good or the very bad event happened. You will find the part of you that's going to take your way through this. Autoimmune is a bitch, and I'm sorry. But the part that is true will stay and it will hold you. I promise. Just keep breathing. Dear Quinn, the last six years have not been good for me. I went through a period of ill health, then a period of part-time work leading to financial instability. I finally got a stable full-time job with great benefits, and one of my bills went up by $300 a month, making that great job mean that I could barely scrape by every month. I was carless for a 20-mile commute for five months. Everyone I work with makes considerably more than me. They have new vehicles, go on vacations, go to concerts, buy expensive sporting equipment, on and on. I watch free DVDs from the library because that is what I can afford. I walk in my four-year-old hiking shoes because I'm scraping the money together for new ones. The car I finally ended up with is quite old, and I worry constantly it's going to break down. So besides the job commute, I drive as little as possible. Envy is eating me up. I look at their lives and do the comparison, and I feel like a complete and utter fuck-up. I don't want their lives. I don't want bad things to happen to them. I'm not a malicious person. But I still envy them, and it is incredibly painful. And of course, I'm ashamed of feeling like a fuck-up. So what is your advice for letting go of envy and shame? If we all knew that whatever day after tomorrow is when you're listening to this was going to be our last day on this earth, then it would be kind of reasonable to feel envy because they had nice stuff up until they died and you were in your four-year-old hiking boots. Actually, I'd like to think that if we were dying in like a day and a half, none of this would matter, but you get my point. The Wheel of Fortune in medieval visuals and paintings if I'm getting this wrong, an art history major just screamed and pounded on her iPhone. Um, it goes around. It goes up. It goes down. Good luck comes. Good luck goes. Bad luck comes. Bad luck goes. You are understandably right now trapped in the present. That's all we have. But right now isn't the way things are always going to be. You have no idea how much these people are overspending in their lives. If you remember 2008, there were quite a few people who went from having these extraordinary lives to losing their house to the bank in two months because they had way overspent relative to what they were taking in. We have learned nothing from 2008. People are doing this again. They are overspending. You have no idea if these people you watch putting up their pictures on social media, holding up the fish they caught or the new junk they bought, aren't white-knuckling it month after month. They could be. 
as the saying goes, never compare your insides to somebody's outsides. You don't know if these people are buying this stuff to fill a hole in their lives that was carved out by a father who was not there for them or feelings of inadequacy because of a locker room incident in their junior year of high school. You just don't know. What you do know is that everything you own right now, even if you're terrified the car is about to go toes up on you, everything you own right now, you own. There is an integrity to that. You will slowly gain things as you can afford them. It's not flashy. There's no Instagram filter for, I covered my bills this month. But when the average American household has, I think, less than $10,000 in savings, you are a very rare individual. Look around to the best of your ability. Watch it with a certain detachment. All of that stuff can go in a minute. It has before. Dear Quinn, hooking up with a coworker, yay or nay? Hmm. Hooking up with your coworker is a great idea. So long as you both agree to exactly how much or little emotional entanglement there will be both now and going forward until the end of measurable time, and that you both agree to the exact date and manner of which you will cease to hook up with additional promise that all interaction after said breakup will be civilized, completely without subtext, and lacking a single word or action that would excite the average drone from HR. However, here on Earth, hooking up with a coworker is, well, first, I want us all to laugh scornfully at the term hooking up, <laughs> with the implicit neatness of Tab A, slot B, a little leftover Thai food, and let me call you an Uber. I don't know if you know this, but humans are not tabs and slots. Humans are damp bags of contradictions and rationalizations, life-threateningly unself-aware irregular verbs. Even if you and your coworker agree to exactly what this is and is not, now... All either of you can promise is that everyone remains exactly the same as they are right now. You guys should be fine. That's insane. Everyone changes constantly. I have changed since the beginning of this paragraph. The very act of having sex creates opportunities for the bonding hormones to, well, bond. One might bond more than the other. I'm, I'm sorry. One will bond more than the other. Someone is going to want to move beyond this hooking up. And even if both people get there, one of you will want it first. Are we doing this? Are we in a relationship? Is a delicate stage of commitment. Many couples figure out they aren't. In fact doing this. After that, one person is going to be more heartsick than the other. One person might be much more heartsick than the other. 
it may not be the one you might think. And instead of staring miserably at their Instagram feed, as our forefathers intended, you are three cubicles apart and no one can know this happened. And that's assuming the two of you are at exactly the same work level. One works for the other one and there ends up being hurt feelings? Oh, you'll never be done with HR. Extra people might be hired just to handle your drama. The amount of chemistry you have with this person is enough to make you consider doing something you already know you probably should not be doing. That chemistry, my dating history tells me, will torch through quickly or grow rancid quickly. And then you're sharing a break room with someone who has seen you naked and who now kind of skeeves you. I guess the good news would be if you don't like your job, the depth of the crappy work you're going to turn out after you guys stop hooking up will get you fired. And unemployment insurance is a firing thing and not a quitting thing. And while it's not great, it's better than nothing. So I guess that's your answer. If you look up the unemployment insurance rate in your state and you could live on that for a while because no one will hire you after the HR department, which handled your post-hookup issue, gets the word out about what a mess you are, then yes, you should definitely hook up with a coworker. My spider sense tells me I have given out enough bad advice for today. But before I go, I really want to give some thanks to people who helped me make this podcast a reality. If you have been listening to the podcast since the beginning, thank you. But you may have noticed the sound quality has improved quite a bit since I started doing it. There is a reason for this. That reason is Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions. Phil took me from my closet, quite literally my bedroom closet where I started recording these because it was relatively quiet. Except, of course, it wasn't. It is amazing how much noise even a quiet neighborhood gets. And you may have heard the motorcycles and the garbage trucks and the insane amount of crows we have right now, which made the entire production experience challenging. Phil has a fantastic recording studio. He was incredibly accommodating about working with us. And the whole experience was really easy on my nerves and I imagine your ears So if you have any professional audio needs, go to primeribproductions.com to check him out. I especially want to thank the people who have been giving me reviews on the various podcast review platforms like Apple Music and Spotify. Thank you. You're saying amazing things. I'm very grateful. Those reviews really do help get the word out. So if you like my bad advice and you think your friends might like it too, by all means, leave a review somewhere, I'd be very grateful. And remember, I can't give you bad advice unless you ask for it. You can always find me on Twitter at Quincy, Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y. Or you can always post a question to qcbad.com. Just go to letter Q, letter C, bad.com, and there's a question form right there. Okay, that's enough for now. See you next time.